0: by NaturopathicEarth.com, here is certified health coach A. Gregory Luna with Confessions of an Obese Child. Hello everybody, this is A. Gregory Luna, you can call me Gregory of course, and we are back with Confessions of an Obese Child, listen up. Yes, I am a little under the weather. If any of you had listened to my previous podcast on sugar foods or sugar, sugar-laden superfoods, uh, you'll know that. I'm recording this essentially on the same day uh, because I am a person who it's hard for me to sit down if uh, when I'm feeling well. And so sometimes it's good for me to get sick because it forces me to lie on the couch or But here, I'm missing school today, and so I thought, why not do The Popular Brother? So today, we're going to do confession number 19, The Popular Brother. This podcast, just like the blog, has all to do with my middle brother. Before we begin, of course, you can find the blog, the articles, everything at www.naturopathicearth.com. It's not natural, it's naturo, N-A-T-U-R-O, P-A-T-H-I-C, like naturopathic or naturopathy, earth.com. You can find us on Instagram at naturopathic underscore earth, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at naturopath earth without the ick, no ick. So please go to those websites, like us. Say hi, send an email, whatever you like. It'd be awesome, of course. Um, A couple of things I did mention in the the Superfood one that I watched a couple of movies this week, and I did want to just vaguely reference the the two other movies I saw. So I saw La La Land, the Damien Chazelle musical with Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling, and I think this is their third movie together, but I think they were in Mobster Squad, Gangster Squad, but I don't think that movie was well-known as Crazy Stupid Love. And, of course, in that movie, Crazy Stupid Love, that and The Notebook kind of defined Ryan Gosling as being a hunk, which is, which is peculiar because when you look at him, he is not classically attractive. He's got kind of this droopy face. He has kind of like saggy eyes. And I know in Crazy Stupid Love they dress him up really well, and he's very suave. Like, rico, suave, Ah, din rico, great 90s song, 92 by Gerardo. I think it was Puerto Rican. I will on occasion drink my green tea, lemon water, because it's warm, and if I don't drink it until this pod's over, it's going to be cold, and I don't like cold, formally warm tea, unless I refrigerate it, and then it's nice and cold tea, then I'm good for that. But I want to drink this warm so, La La Land, Emma Stone, beautiful woman. Okay, now there's something about Emma Stone. I, I mentioned this. I can't remember which confession it was. The difference between cute and sexy, and I use Aniston and Angelina Jolie. Uh, I can't remember. It was one of, because we were talking about the Ocean's movie. Probably it was referencing my moves of Leclerc and Ocean's Twelve. I don't remember. It's one of the mid confessions. But Emma Stone is definitely cute. She's not sexy, but there's, she doesn't do, I, I, she's like objectively very beautiful. There's no doubt. She's got the big lips and this those, you know, big doe eyes and the red hair. And my understanding is that she's not even naturally a redhead, but it's defined her, so why not keep it? This movie won something like 14 nominations for Oscars. And then, of course, I think a lot of you guys know won, and then it was taken away because there was that snafu. Now, I have not seen Moonlight and all the other movies. And I and I do briefly mention the Oscars, I think, in Confession 8 or 9. Uh, but I can see why it was very popular. Okay, Chazelle, who's probably best known for the movie Whiplash with Miles Teller about the drum performer at the conservatory and that guy from all the State Farm commercials who has this, like, this one incredible performance and he gets the Oscar, and then you really don't see him much. Though he does have a scene in... La La Land. He plays the boss of Goslings uh, at the jazz bar at the beginning. But that movie's incredible. And I think uh, Whiplash. It's incredible. It's intense. It's just well made. I think here, you know, he wanted to have a throwback to the old musicals of the 30s, 40s, up into the 50s. And even the beginning with that snapshot after the dancing on the freeway, and then at the very end with the, the end. And. I I get that. I think he wants to bring back the musical. And most of the songs were fine. I think Emma Stone did a decent job singing. I think it's a lot, of course, auto-tuned. And Gosling was okay. And, you know, there's definitely charisma and chemistry between them. And it was fine. But I think if you, and this is not to overgeneralize, but I think this movie was perfect for women and gay men. I mean, it's like the musical group. I mean, right? Uh, it was okay. I mean, I was like, you no, know, not really paying attention. I think I'd love to go for a walk in the middle half. And I will give it credit for this. I give the actress credit for singing, but I will give the ending a very great kudos because you see this. And I know a lot of people were kind of upset at the ending, right? Where they don't end up together. And I don't think it's a spoiler given this movie's been out. I mean, I got on red box. So if it's been a red box, I think it's okay to spoil it, but they don't end up together. As, you, as most of you guys know that um, they break up uh, originally because Ryan Gosling, Sebastian Sebastian uh, gets a jazz job and they have a fight over that because he's not going to be around but then eventually he gets a phone call about a great casting shot for her and so he drives down to, back to her hometown and picks her up and takes her over there and she gets this role and then as the flash forward five years later where she's a very famous actress it's, I, I think it's probably akin to like Julia Roberts you know Julia Roberts was pretty much a nobody she had done mystic pizza before pretty woman but uh with pretty woman i mean that movie just catapulted her and i think it's kind of the same belief here you know young ingenue and she's catapulted anyways it's fast forward five years and she's married and has a kid and she goes to a jazz bar and she sees him there and they have this wonderful vignette of and i haven't really been able to talk to people about it i should talk to kate because i wonder if she's seen this but of course I've asked my guys and none of them have seen it if that was like the 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 vignette of what their life would have been like, had she stayed, I think one of the the glaring things about the movies, they didn't have like a scene where it's like you go to Paris and we'll we'll make it work and we'll stay together, and then you just kind of show them drifting apart. They didn't really have that scene. So when you when they see each other at Sebastian's bar, you know that you don't know anything about their backstory, but that vignette about how, what their life would have been like, you know, it would have been their baby. She would have shown up to the piano bar with him. It's it's very bittersweet. And then the end is great, you know, that she's leaving because she doesn't want to be there anymore. And she turns around and looks at him and he he smiles back. And they kind of just have a universal nod. And I think the great takeaway of this movie is that sometimes you have to let people go that you love. And you can kind of see here for 220-something musicians, actors in Hollywood, I mean, you would think it's inevitable that their relationship would be doomed because inevitably, if, if one of them was successful, they'd have to leave. Not a lot of movie jobs are headquartered out of Southern California, so maybe she didn't have to get a job away, but we don't know that. I mean, she was supposed to leave for Paris for seven months, so why didn't they stay together for seven months or come back after seven months? But it, it's kind of, the point that I got from it is that the sign of true love is letting somebody go when you know that something is better for them. So he knew that she needed to do this. Maybe this was her dream to be an actress. And despite the fact that she, that he would have missed her quite a bit because I think he loved her. And I don't know if they even covered the, the love part of it because I missed the middle part. Um, Sometimes you gotta let people go because you know what's best for them. And at the time, of course, of the breakup, you don't realize that, but later on you do. So I think it's kind of a win-win ending for La La Land because they're both successful. They both achieved their dream, albeit not with each other. So they're both successful and their relationship was a casualty, but without each other in their life, they would not have reached where they've reached. I mean, clearly he would, she would not have gone to the the casting call uh, had he not drove her there so they needed each other in that specific moment in their life to help them achieve their goals and I think that's what the nod's about it's like you're happy I'm happy thank you for each other and let's move on because it, with a lot of breakups you know you you have a lot of pain at the beginning and then later on you with, with perspective and with time you hopefully you don't have a lot of anger I mean if you're still angry at someone for breaking up with you 10 years after the fact then that, that's not good guys So I think one of the reasons that the movie would have gotten the best picture is because it's just a throwback to a musical. But I mean, it's not the typical best picture winner. The best picture winners are typically very plot driven, character driven, heavy, dark, you know, some epic period movie, something like that. So I thought it was all right. I don't think it deserved 14 nominations. I think Emma Stone was great. I don't think she deserved the best actress. When but it was all right all right so the other movie i saw was arrival arrival was a movie about aliens who come to earth and it stars amy adams and jeremy renner amy adams is a great actress i love her and i tell kate all the time that she kind of looks like a little like amy adams a little i don't want to get her head too big uh, but the movie is good it's 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 and that's the type of movie i like very existential i'm not going to ruin this movie because the ending is trippy she is a linguist who is, is sent in by the military to figure out what the aliens are saying because no one can communicate with them. And there's twelve different spaceships, and they've all landed in different countries. And so each country is trying to interact with them. And then um, they, as as time goes on, you know, the countries are worried that they're here for malevolent reasons. Uh, but eventually, she kind of breaks the code, and so there's a race against the clock to stop the other countries from, you know trying to blow up these spaceships. But the end is just trippy. It's beautiful. I love I love kind of existential movies. When I was watching the movie, it kind of reminded me of Contact with uh, Jodie Foster back in the late 90s where she's a scientist and she makes first contact with an alien life form. And so the rest of the movie, they're trying to debate whether or not they should interact with them and then how to build a spaceship and then the aliens send a like a a blueprint on how to build the spaceship and then there's people who are against this and so they blow up the first spaceship it's just a very good movie too but just the ending i don't want to ruin it it's definitely worth a watch i can see why people liked it and why critics liked it but i'm not going to ruin it It has a very beautiful ending and it's kind of bittersweet but i would definitely recommend you see it okay so we'll talk about last jedi in the next podcast because i'm probably already 15 minutes in So, Confessions of an Obese Child, the Popular Brother. My middle brother. Hold on, let me get some tea. Hold on. Oh, God. Warm lemon tea is the best thing when you're sick. Look like a young Tom Cruise from Risky Business. Or a later generation, perhaps a young Scott Wolf from Party of Five fame. Party Five was that TV show on Fox that had Matthew Fox from Lost. It had Nev Campbell, Jennifer Love Hewitt. They were a family of five kids whose parents died. And so it was about just their ups and downs. Scott Wolf was kind of the shorter um, brother, not Matthew. Matthew Fox was the older brother. And Tom Cruise from Risky Business back in 83, just a young Tom Cruise. He had black hair, hazel eyes, charming, very bright. Girls were pulled into my brother's tractor beam like a mosquito following the blue light. He was athletic, funny, charismatic. In the eyes of an obese child like myself, who happened to be his youngest brother, he was a rock star. And you see this a lot too. When when kids are really young, they look up to their older brother or older sister. And I definitely did for him or to him. Now, when you're unattractive or an outcast, it might be easier to have an unattractive older sibling because it's not as much of a kind of juxtaposition of where you're at as opposed to where they're at unfortunately you know my middle brother was like a blinding beacon of popularity and akin to a solar eclipse his wattage was so bright you could be blinded if you looked him straight into the eye which of course is a hyperbole but I mean this this goes back to the question of is it better when you're a nerd to have kind of like middle popularity sibling or maybe a nerdy one or how much more difficult is it to have a popular sibling? And I think it's more difficult to have a popular sibling. I really do. Regardless of how they treat you, I think it's similar to my brother, my father being a world famous cancer doctor. It puts so much burden on us to, to kind of repeat what he did that you can crack under the pressure. So it was difficult. We shared a bedroom together when I was about from five to 10 years old. Our room was, our, our room was filled with 80s heavy metal bands. Posters and NFL pennants. I still remember, this must have been like 81. I remember we had a high and dry Def Leppard poster. We had a Motley Crue Shout Out the Devil, which is a poster of all four of them, all dressed up in makeup. Young, very young Motley Crue. That's the first album, or maybe it's the second album. Man, early Motley Crue was great. Just go listen to Live Wire. Livewire is a jam. That is a jam. Shout out the devil. I'm not really big into their satanic stuff and I used to be really scared because like one of them was named Nikki Six, right? Nikki Six. And they always use satanic, you know, imagery. My brother used to tell me ACDC stood for Against Christ, Devil's Children. And then KISS was Knights in Service of Satan. Uh, He wasn't really big into KISS. So lots of times when you're a young kid, you kind of just adapt or adopt the music interests of your older brother. So for my eldest brother, I, I adopted... A lot of new wave music, and I definitely want to mention. I just saw the Thirteen Reasons Why, that Netflix show about a student killing herself, and I'll, I'll mention this another time because this show is very relevant if you're a teacher of high school, which I am. But I love the fact that in that show they played a lot of new wave music and obscure new wave music too. I mean, they played Ultravox. They played New Order, which is not that obscure. I mean, that's one of the biggest bands of the 80s. Joy Division, they played. They played Yaz. They played just great music. But I got that from my eldest brother. Um, He was gay, so. And then from my middle brother, I got the Heavy Metal. Now, he was very big into, at the time, Rat, Dokken, Def Leppard, Motley Crue, Queen, Journey, He wasn't really big into the 70s bands. I don't remember him really getting into Zeppelin and Eagles and Fleetwood Mac. I mean, Fleetwood Mac's not really rock. But my point is that that the room was, you know, even now, 35 years later, I still remember what that room looked like. I think it must have been hard for him to have to share a room with his younger brother in his high school years. I mean, I was six years younger than he was. So when he was 15, 16, I was 10. I do remember lots of times catching him making out with girls in the room, or he would just lock me out of the room when he was doing homework with them. So either the girls would come over after school, but I also have heard dis- distinct memories of even later at night, you know, my parents would go out of town quite a bit because my dad, of course, was a doctor and he would go on conferences and sometimes he would take my mom, but... I just remember lots of times, like, walking in and be like, hey, George, what's, up? what's going on? And he'd be like, get out. So, you know, even I, I, I mean, I knew what was kind of going on. They were just, make, like, making out, or let me think that they were making out. Also, I would hear him on the phone talking to girls. You know, back then you had, like, one phone that had the cord in each room, and so he'd be talking to girls late at night. And I just remember listening to him and just... Just listen to how he talked to girls because, and I'm definitely going to cover this uh, with The Opposite Sex, which is the next podcast. The blog's already been written, but I had no game because I didn't know any girls, but listening to him, I think really helped me later on. My brother was like a living animated version of the 80s doll, My Buddy. If you remember My Buddy, for you guys who are like 35 or older, they had that commercial. It's like, my buddy and me, climb up a tree, my buddy and me, it's the best thing, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy and me. It was like this doll, and then they came up with Kid Sister, which was like the girl equivalent. So when I WoW was really young, we we it was awesome. we play video games together, and that must have been in the early 80s, would have been like Atari 2600. I think that's what we had at the time. Because the NES and Nintendo system didn't come out until 85, 86. Uh, we threw the Nerf football around. We played basketball in the driveway. When I was young, we would play tackle football in the den, which I still remember this was so great. So we, you know, we didn't have a, that big of a den, but what he would do is I'd start on one side of the room and he and his his friends, who were taller than me, of course, because he's six years older, would get on their knees. And so the point was like, they'd be like, okay, Albert, here's the ball, get past this. And I would be able to run and they'd be on their knees kind of crawling and then I would just like run into them, and they'd try to get, knock me over. But I was so big, it was difficult for them to do it. So we used to do that all the time, uh, in in the in the room. So I I did have really great times with him uh, when I was younger. I mean, publicly too. There were perks of being the younger brother of a cool kid. Kids bullied me very little in the elementary school years, since my brother was in junior high there. So. When he was 7th, 8th grade, I was 1st and 2nd grade. Now, partly the other reason I didn't get bullied a lot is because my weight had not burgeoned too much by the time I was 6 or 7. But definitely having a popular brother there that was very well-known helped quite a bit. I mean, they knew better... His junior high school girls would give me pinches on the cheek, remarking, "You're such a cute little kid. You're so sweet." And I'd be like, "Uh, uh, uh I'm I nearly peed in my pants." You know, I was like, "Oh, uh, 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 girl." Uh, uh. It got even better in my middle elementary school years. We would go to the neighborhood pool together, which I mentioned in the swimming pool. The amusement park, which I mentioned in the amusement park podcast, and the mall together. I was just this cute, chubby, fat sidekick. He was a star soccer player. I mentioned this in the Lumbering Athlete, the previous podcast. And I was kind of the mascot of his teams. He was on a club team and he was on a the high school team. The high school team won the state championship in his junior year. And so I was kind of like the designated mascot. What the mascot essentially meant you carry all the balls, you do all the the, the grunt work. And then anytime they're kicking in the soccer goal and they miss, you run after the ball and get it for him. Now, at the time when you're young, you know, 10. You know, you're like, yeah, I get to be the mascot, use me as a slave labor, kind of like in the convenience store podcast, right? Work me, I don't care, you're not going to pay me, oh, it's okay, just give me food, I just want to be, you know, accepted, just accept me. So that's what I would do, I'd be like the water boy, and I get to go on all the trips, and I just felt, you know, it feels good to be part of older kids, you know, and how much did I used to have my hand My hair would be rubbed by them. They'd be like, oh, Albertote!" Back when I did have hair, yes. It was just a great experience. One of the best memories I have of my brother is, both of my brothers, is like, as I mentioned, my parents would go out of town, right? They'd go to Europe or wherever, China. And uh, they would both throw parties, just raucous parties. Now, we lived on a major street, so just a very, like a two-lane street with an Esplanade in the middle and then two lanes going the other way. So it was a very busy street, but I distinctly remember, and of course, if he heard this podcast, he probably wouldn't remember this because these are my memories, but, you know, he would have a keg there and I'd be the keg master and I'd sit and serve the keg and all the girls would come, oh, hey, keg master. And I'd be like, oh, oh, oh girls, oh, 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 But I still remember there'd be fights, fights would spill out into the backyard, because again, you have high school kids and, and drinking, like in 13 Reasons Why, bad things happen, but... I distinctly remember, they, they were just such very different parties. So my eldest brother's gay, right? So when his friends would come over in these late parties, they'd be listening to New Wave. It was very kind of like early alternative goth. They were wearing like turtlenecks and talking like artists. And the music was very different, more classy, not classy, but just like more refined because he was four years older than my middle brother. But And then when my middle brother had parties, uh, they were just crazy. I mean, people were playing shots. This is, of course, you know, mid-80s, late-80s. So Shots was a big game. I I honestly don't even know if kids still play Shots right now. I know Beer Pong was pretty popular, but uh, I'll mention in the next podcast how I never went to a party in high school. I, I never went to a party, but I remember seeing... Anything I knew about parties was through my middle brother's parties. So they'd be playing quarters... They'd be, they'd be canoodling in dark areas of the rooms. Uh, the cops had to be called sometimes. I remember one time one of his friends punched a door straight through, and so my brother and his friends were panicking. They're like, "We gotta fix this, bro." Yeah, bro, we gotta fix this. We gotta cover it up for my parents. They'll be so, you know, they'll be so effed. Uh, we, we gotta do this, and so they ended up like doing a crappy plaster job where you could tell that the color of the of the door was different than the color of the plaster. And of course, my parents found out. I think. I don't, I need to ask my mom this. I I think they knew they were having parties, but honestly, as long as the house came back relatively decent, I don't really think they cared too much. But it's kind of like those parties, like in uh, Weird Science, you know, where just everything's a mess, or like in Sixteen Candles. Yes, I know all my references are '80s movies. I know, but I mean, how many people who are listening? To this have never seen the John Hughes movies. I mean, they're just iconic. So just having a popular older brother gave me access in a, into a world of coolness I never thought I'd be allowed to enter. It was just, I mean, this was the closest I was going to get to parties. But after after a little while, things changed. He left to college when I was 12. And at the junior high age, the cliques had already developed, right? Cliques kind of developed probably fourth, fifth grade maybe. I'll find out when my kid gets to that age. My My weight was increasing quite exponentially at the time. And so was the taunting, I looked at these bullies and, and here, here's where my view of my brother changed. And it was completely not fair for him, but he was gone. So I didn't have the protection of him and my weight was getting bigger. So I was kind of left alone now at the same middle school he we went to. And then later on, I went to the same high school he went to. So here's, here's what happened. So the taunting was bad. And the way I looked at it, like these kids were mostly popular kids and then I looked at my brother, and he was popular too. I despise these kids for ridiculing me. And as an extension, I began to hate all popular kids, even the ones who are not directly mean. I mean. Typically, nerds don't pick on nerds, unless it's like the big bully type. But typically, nerds don't pick on nerds. I rationalized that they were privileged, ungrateful brats who got their whole life served on a silver platter. They were born with good looks, and as the Indian caste system, they were exalted and placed on a higher caste than we outcasts and plebes. But really, of course, like all nerds and freaks, we were just jealous of them. We too yearned to be in the pantheon of coolness, but we never knew how to reach that apex. And you can kind of see this in a lot of movies, like Can Hardly Wait, Dazed and Confused, 16 Candles. You know, they always have that the group, like in 16 Candles, it's a very young John Cusack, and he's friends with Anthony Michael Hall. I remember they're trying to get into the party, and then eventually uh, Anthony Michael Hall's character gets in, and he ends up sleeping with the popular girl. I mean, that, that movie was so politically incorrect. He starts, he takes a birth control pill from her. But anytime like nerds are like, I don't need, I don't, I don't want to be popular. It's just, we're just jealous. Everyone wants to be accepted. Everybody, everybody. Now you can have a good balance of that ratio. Like if you're willing to do whatever it takes to get popular, you are going to be in trouble. You're going to be sacrificing your morals, your ethics and who you are. If you have a good balance where you're like, I want to be, you know, popular and accepted, but I'm not going to change who I am too much. And that's a much better balance. So, in high school, as the torment got really bad, my relationship with my middle brother changed. He epitomized everything I disliked about popular kids because he was popular. It was just kind of like the transitive rule in math, right? Was it like A times B equals C? B times C equals A. A times C? Oh, I don't know. The math teachers listening are going to give me a hard time. So at that point, he joined a fraternity in college. My parents and I would visit him, and upon entering the frat house, it reminded me that my tormentors would likely become frat boys just like my brother. I marveled at how it was just a never-ending cycle of popular kids in middle school becoming popular kids in high school who became popular kids in college who joined a frat or sorority, and then who would later get nice jobs and houses and then breed future popular kids. It was like the popular kid solidarity block that I mentioned in a lot of these podcasts, like the swimming pool and and summer camp, right? So again, you know, I was just kind of like, I hate these people. I hate everything they represent. I think they're all retards. They're all stupid. They're drunk all the time. But really, I just envied them. I really just did. After losing my weight, uh, when I was about 18, the dynamic didn't change. I remember being approached at my college by the most prestigious fraternity to ask me to rush, At the time, I balked and said no. I was myopic. I thought, how could I join the group which epitomizes everything I can't stand, right? Again, it's like, don't wanna compromise who you are. Why would I wanna join and and kind of support the elitism, the hardcore drinking, the partying, maybe the objectification of girls? My non accepted friends and I would parrot the often quoted line, Why should I join a frat? Why should I have to pay for my friends? People should like you for who you are. How shallow. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a certain truth to that. I, but I think at that age, you're very myopic into believing, you know, why are there dues? I mean, there's dues. Now, I'm not the best expert of, of frat dues and how the money is appropriated. I'm sure sent, a lot of it's sent to the national headquarters. A lot is, is sent is for upkeep. And there's got to be profit made. So, I mean, probably the the dues are pretty high. But, it, you know, this, this belief of why do I have to pay for my friends is so myopic. And, of course, it was all a front. You know, we all wanted to be in the group, but either we didn't have the moxie or opportunity to forge our way in. Like, I had the opportunity, but, I again, like so many of these podcasts, I still felt like a fat kid in a skinnier kid's body. Like when, uh, in cancer hospital when I talk about my decision to change my major or in The Invisible Student with my panic attacks. I still saw myself as fat, and no one else did. Like These people in college didn't know I was fat unless I told them. And I just didn't get it at the time, and I and I figured it out later on. It was like the Greek system is really all about networking. It's all about meeting people, and you, you can network really well. Like down here in Texas, uh, Texas A&M has an incredible networking system where essentially if you show people the ring that you're applying for a job, and they're a former Aggie, they will hire you. It's kinda like the Freemasons too. Or like the Mormons, you know, like all these smaller groups that are, just, you know, support each other, the Jews and so forth. So the Greek system was really just a form of networking. So you were going to meet these people really young and you would ha- develop very close relationships, maybe because you guys were hazed together. And we're not even really going to talk about hazing here because that's, that's neither here or there. But later on, 10, 15 years, when your frat brother, one of them is an accountant, one of them is a lawyer, one of them's I don't know, a, a mechanic. A pharmaceutical rep, a doctor, whatever. So you can always keep up with them. And then you call them and be like, Hey bro, uh, you know, I need your help. And since you already have a level of trust because of the bond that you forged in college, you, you will choose them and they'll choose you and they'll help you out. And I just was too myopic to see that my blubber blinded me to this notion and so I foolishly remained isolated in my righteous principles. Like oh, I'm not going to join them. I'm going to pay money. Yeah, 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 Big mistake. It was a big mistake. I should have joined the frat. Because unlike when I talked about the lumbering athlete when I was asked by the football team when I was still fat to join the football team, unlike that scenario where no doubt I would have gained more weight because they wanted me to gain weight to be on their offensive line, had I joined a fraternity when I was 18, I think it, would, it really would have changed my life. I think... I would have become more social and I'm pretty social now, but I think I would have become so more social sooner and it would have, would have opened me up. I mean, I remember like being scared to go to dance clubs in college or even in graduate school. Like I'd be literally petrified or I would never go to trendy restaurants because I thought, well, when I walk in, they're going to know that I'm an imposter. Right, and now when I'm older and I go to trendy restaurants or all these places, I'm like I fit right in, you know. But you don't see that because it's that insecurity that mires you down. The irony is that I did fit into this fraternity perfectly. I was handsome, boasted the pedigree of a world famous doctor and a well known respected brother, but internally I didn't feel like I I felt like I fit in. I was still an obese child in a skinnier body. I don't ever recall my brother ever taunting me about my weight, ever. And I really, I really spent some time thinking about this. If he had ever taunted me, and I and I don't remember it. He never made fun, aside from like typically sibling stuff. He you know, like tackling me, giving me noogies. Most of the memories I have of us is playing soccer together, playing baseball together, playing video games. I would yell at him because when we would play Tecmo mobile, he would do the same play. Every time on offense, which was a bomb touchdown. And I'd be like, why are you doing the same play? That's so predictable. Do something else. But, you know, I I don't remember him ever making fun of me. He was supportive, caring older brother that took me under his wing. And he didn't have to be caring. He could have been a D-bag, you know, popular kid D-bag. Popular kids don't need to be nice to people. And that's a sign of true character. As I mentioned, it's like when you go on a first date with somebody, notice how they treat the waitstaff. Notice how they treat the busboy. Notice how they treat their mom or dad. Um, these these are character building signs. And as I mentioned in some of the other confessions, you know, a sign of great character is doing the opposite of what the group think or the herd mentality is. So if somebody's getting bullied, you step in and stop it because you know that's the right thing to do, and you just don't sit back and let it happen because you don't have the courage to do it. He didn't have to involve me in his forays with his popular friends. He could have been ashamed of me and locked me up in the metaphorical tower and just be like, you stay home, bro. You stay home. You're embarrassing me. But he didn't do that. So time is the healer of all wounds. As with the emotional eating abating when I got to college and later, so did any resentment toward my brother. It was unfair to me to project my distaste of the popular bullies onto him. It was completely unfair. There's no there's no reason for me to have hated him. He was never never cruel to me, and he always treated me well. And today, he's just a normal, hardworking, caring husband and father, and he's a great brother. And so, like like listening to Why Did I Become Fat? The first confession, there was like a, a cycle, a, a circle cycle with my parents. There was a stage where when I was getting really ridiculed, I'd blame them. You know, Mom, Dad, why'd you let me get fat? You could have stopped the food. I was, you know because I was still dealing with all the issues of being a formerly overweight kid. And then at the end, I just realized that they just did the best they could. Now, could they have done better? Yeah, and I'm sure there's going to be things that I could have done a lot better in hindsight with my kids, but can't cry over spilt milk. And so with my brother, it was the same thing. You know, there was a time, and I don't, you know, I need to ask him this. I don't know if he recognized that there was a time where I did not like him. I don't know. I need to ask him that because maybe he'd never noticed it. He probably did. He probably noticed that I was. I was like, well, maybe he just chalked it up to teenage adolescent angst. You know, I do remember though, before we finish off, uh, my first date, I had my first date with a girl named Regina in my senior year in high school. So it was right after I lost my weight and I did not have any clothes at all, at all, you know, because I was a fat kid, right? Big and tall. Come on. And so my mom was like buying new clothes, but I was losing so weight so fast that you know she, we didn't have anything fashionable. And so my brother, I don't know, I think he was staying at the house, or maybe he was back in in Houston at the time, staying in an apartment or something like that. But he lent me his clothes, and I, I remember like he was always so fashionable. Like at the time, he would go to J. Crew, and then it would be Jossé Bank later on. And I honestly don't know where he shops now, but the boy is always well coiffed. And well-dressed because it's partly his job requires that, but partly he cares about his appearance and he's, he, you know, for free in 49, he looks incredible. He looks like, you know how Tom Cruise made a deal with the devil where he, the boy doesn't really age. It's kind of like my brother. My brother looks excellent for his age, but when he was younger and in high school and in college, he would wear these really bright pink clothes, pink shirts, light blue shirts, bright yellow shirts. And I was like, I will never wear that because when you're fat, you think bright colors accentuate your obesity, right? So you want to wear dark colors. And then I convinced myself that, oh, when I wear maroon and dark blue and dark green shirts, that brings out my eyes and my eyelashes because I have apparently pretty eyelashes. But I would never stick to those bright colors. And so one time, I remember when my first day, he lent me one of his clothes, his shirts because I had nothing to wear. And... It was like a really bright shirt, you know. And he was like, "Bro, just just trust me. This looks good. Don't worry about it." And I still remember that. I still remember that, that was my first date ever. And that was the first day where I touched hands with a girl at the movie theater. We were seeing Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, with Kevin Costner and Morgan Freeman, horribly miscast as a Saracen. Oh my god, that was such a bad movie. But it had, you know, it's probably most well known well known for that song by Brian Adams. You know, it's true. Everything I do. Anyways, they, they I, I used to, I'm going way off topic, but they did a Three Musketeers remake a few years later and with Kiefer Settlin and Charlie Sheen. It was like all Americans in this movie. It was so cheesy. But they had a, the song for, it was like the smoker trio. It was Rod Stewart, Brian Adams, and... Oh my God, I can't remember. But they did that song, All for Love. Sting. Yeah, that's right. It was Sting, Brian Adams, and uh, and Rod Stewart. And they all have that kind of smoky voice. It was like, oh, for awful. Oh, yeah. Anyway, that was a horrible movie. But yeah, he gave me the shirt and it was like, that's great. And so now, nowadays I do wear bright shirts. And also back then I used to wear very baggy clothes. I mean, I was wearing baggy clothes up until like five years ago. Because again, you you can't outgrow this stuff unless you really work through it. And then my brother, you know, he's like, you got to wear tailored tight clothes. And so I, I pretty much do now. So, anyways, that's my trip back membrane lane with my middle brother. I thank you for listening to this confession of an obese child number nineteen. Go to the website, post a review, send me an email. I've been getting emails, but a lot of them are just. Uh, people who are writing these extremely long emails about how you know the, the, the marijuana is a cure for cancer. If you want to know more information about it, and then they leave their website. you know I don't know what the term is. they're not uh, trolls, but they are people who just leave their contact information on people's comments. The funny thing is, guys, I have a blocker on my website. so no, don't don't even try putting anything because I have to approve every comment. And the only comments I want to approve, and I'll even improve, uh, approve negative comments, like your, your highfalutin you know, D-bag or something, like that. I'll put that out there. But I'm not going to put just obvious troll stuff or where you're just linking up and it's clear that you haven't listened to the podcast or read the article. So don't, don't bother doing that. But aside from that, guys, take care. Until next time, be good to yourself, and hopefully I'll be back to full strength soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode of Confessions of an Obese Child. Make sure to visit us at www.naturopathicearth.com for additional confessions, wellness articles, recipes, and a whole lot more. Leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at naturopathearth. See you next time.